Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. First Kings 17, what to do when you want to quit. What to do when you want to quit. Whether it's quitting on church, quitting on your pastor, quitting on the word, quitting on God, quitting on prayer, quitting on your family, whatever the situation may be. I'm going to tell you that the Bible tells us clearly there's some things we can do to address a time in our life or any times in our life when we get challenged to want to quit. Even from just the natural perspective alone, let alone the spiritual perspective. We have an enemy who wants us to quit God, who wants us to back down on our confession, back down on our actions, back down on our lifestyle, living for God. But thank God in Jesus' name, we don't have to quit. And the Bible helps us to understand what to do when, we, when that actual uh, events happen in our life. We're going to look at such an event here in the life of Elijah. First uh, Kings 17. We're going to look at the first seven verses. Verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite. Tell your neighbor, at least you're not a Tishbite. <laughs> and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, King Ahab at the time, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, he's prophesying here, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here. After he gives this word to Ahab, then the Lord speaks to Elijah directly. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. It will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now think about that. If God could command ravens, dirty birds, in Elijah's day to feed Elijah, how could he not help you? How could he not take care of you? I love, you know, Pastor's story. You know, he says, I can't help but think that those ravens, those dirty birds, they flew over, you know, to, uh, to, to uh, old Jezebel's, you know, house where she was about to have her morning breakfast out there, you know, on the, on the, on the patio area. Very wealthy lady. And here come these dirty birds taking away all of her good food. And flying it out there to the prophet. <clears throat> Whatever they did, they took care of the prophet of God by the word of the Lord. Verse 5. So he went, did exactly what the Lord said. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. Say, that's good. For he went and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now remember what he prophesied. What was going to happen? Rain was going to stop. Rain was going to stop. Verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. They didn't just bring him bread. They brought him meat as well. And the bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Pretty good deal, huh? I said pretty good deal. Not too bad. And it happened after a while. So after a while, notice that the brook did what? <clears throat> the brook dried up. Why? <clears throat> because there was no rain. And after no rain for a period of time, 
Water stops flowing. The brook, brook dried up because, again, there had been no rain in the land. So even in Elijah's time, God sends him to this place. This is where he has him to go for provision because of what was going on at the time. He had water for a period of time and the ravens feeding him. But because of the lack of rain, guess what happened? Brook dries up. Number one on your notes, even the prophets, even the prophets of God face times of discouragement. Because, you know, a lot of people think prophets of God, clearly called by God, God's going to take care of them. God's going to do what he needs for them. They'll never face any hard times. Now, listen, most of the prophets of God who obey God face some really hard times in obeying God. But guess what? Even they face times of discouragement. 1A, when it doesn't rain upstream, guess what? There's no water downstream. 1B, therefore Elijah's brook did what? It dried up. 1C, everyone, say everyone. Everyone faces times when things dry up and discouragement tries to set in. When things dry up and discouragement sets in. When this happens, underline it, expect God to provide direction to bring you new provision. Expect God to provide direction to bring new provision. Now, we're not going to read it, but in verses 8, all the way down through verse 16, I remember what happened. <clears throat> God speaks to him, send him, sends him to a widow at Zarephath, who was already spoken to by God to be there to take care of this prophet. Now that, that, that literal, pro, that uh, widow in honoring God and doing what God said to take care of the prophet was also going to do what? Be taking care of herself. Because she was running out of what she had because of uh, the obvious famine in the land. So God always has a way. Say, God has a way. God always has a way to do what? Provide direction for us to bring new provision. You know, you might get in a situation where a job ends. You might get in a situation, you know, where all of a sudden where you're at work or where you're going on, relationship to your business or something, things kind of dry up. Doesn't mean God's forgot about you. Doesn't mean God's not going to take care of you. But what you want to do is keep hearing the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. And when you do, guess what God's going to do? He's going to give you direction to bring new provision for your life. Turn over to 1 Kings 19. We go a little further. 1 Kings 19. So what he prophesied happened. Of course, we see that. The brook dried up. So after all that takes place, Ahab, obviously now not real happy about this, tells Jezebel about what's going on here as it relates to this prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, chapter 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had also executed what? All the prophets with the sword, false prophets that were under her control. Therefore, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as like one, uh, your life as one of them, by tomorrow, the prophets that he had obviously called fire down on, by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, then notice this, when he saw that, he arose and he did what? Pretty interesting how he's used by God, he declares the famine, God directs him to the brook Cherith, he goes there till the water runs out, then he directs him to a widow, I mean, it's pretty obviously God's taking care of him. But now all of a sudden, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, threatens his life. And what does he do? He flees and runs in terror. So obviously, some of this was getting to him to some degree. Or all of a sudden now, he just simply wants to quit on God. 
quit on his calling. So again, verse 3, when he saw that, what she had said, he arose, ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Question, did God send him? No, he did not. So now he's doing something that we don't want to do when you feel like quitting. He is doing something that we, we don't want to fall for when you get in a challenging time in your life and feel like quitting God or quitting church or giving up on the things of God. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. What's wilderness signify? Isolation. You're, you're pulling away from everything God has as a strength to your life. Everything. You're pulling away from God. You're pulling away from church family. You're pulling away from the context of fellowship of other strong believers, as well as maybe, quote-unquote, for us, the Word of God, uh, pastor, etc. So he runs for his life. He goes, to Bert, uh, he goes a day's journey into the wilderness. Notice, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. And, and he tells the Lord, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. So in other words, all of a sudden, just because Jezebel threatens to kill him and to take his life, this great prophet now, going through these steps of somewhat obviously challenging situations, is now so discouraged that he chooses to isolate, pull away, and go off by himself out into the wilderness. Left his servant and moves on, goes out and sits by himself under a broom tree. Number two, the prophet got so discouraged he actually wanted to do what? Wanted to die. He's asking the Lord that he could die. 2A, don't pull away by yourself and become isolated. Underline it. Don't pull away by yourself and become isolated. This only gives more opportunity for discouragement to set in. So one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is sometimes people just say, I just want to get alone, be by myself. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you're drawn near to God. Elijah wasn't doing that. Elijah was pulling away from God. Elijah was pulling away from everything that he had as a strength to his life, including his servant, <clears throat> who was sent by God to be a help to him. So realize any time that you start feeling a desire to be isolated from people, pulled away from your church family, pulled away from your pastor, etc., guess what? You better start dealing with yourself as we're going to teach you tonight because you're going into a, uh, a place of wanting to quit, which is not good. You're wanting to obviously quit God, quit the things of God, and quit the things that would strengthen you in God to help you overcome. Everybody faces times of discouragement. Anybody who says they don't, I guarantee you what, they're no longer on the planet. If they would say such a thing or they're lying to you. Because discouragement, like I taught you during the COVID thing, uh, you know, fear comes to everybody. Well, so does discouragement. It doesn't mean you get discouraged. I said it doesn't mean... You get discouraged, but discouragement will come to you. There's not a single ploy of Satan that he won't try to employ against you and to cause to happen in your life in a way to obviously cause you to be defeated. But we don't have to get discouraged. Amen? So a key indicator that we are beginning to go into a quit mode is when we want to isolate. Well, I guarantee right now, you better shake yourself and start doing what's on the rest of this list so that you don't wind up quitting God and get in a position of being taken advantage of. By the way, how many of you know what the end of Elijah's story was? The end of Elijah's story was God finally appears to him after he goes off into this cave and he said, what are you basically wording it today? What are you doing here? In other words, I didn't tell you to come here. I didn't tell you to isolate. I didn't, I didn't tell you to pull aside, pull away from all these things. 
And so you know what God finally tells him to do? Get up and go do what I told you to do. And now I am telling you to go anoint Elisha in your place. You know what that means? So now you got this quit thing on you. Guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to replace you. Because in the days of the prophets of the Old Testament, I guarantee you what, they just weren't running around prophesying all nice stuff to everybody. Most of what they had to prophesy in their day was obviously aspects of, uh, of, of God's judgment to come in the Old Testament, things that obviously God had to speak to them to tell them to try to warn people, which many would not heed those warnings. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me tell you why I don't want to quit in the last days. You know why? I don't want somebody to replace me in what God called me to do. I don't, let, me, let me reword that. I don't want to have to have God call on somebody to replace me because I quit my God. Not after what Jesus did for me. Are you listening? I don't want that to happen. I remember a really close friend of uh, Pastor Barclay's, Happy Caldwell, great pastor. He's since now turned his church over uh, to another gentleman who's pastor in the church as he's now being used like pastor to be a minister to ministers. He travels and ministers predominantly to other ministers. Now, he's not, he's not retired. He's doing a work of the ministry, what God's called him into. But I remember hearing his story about this very town in Arkansas where God called him to raise up a church. As he was praying about where he was at in prayer one time, the Lord said, you weren't my first choice to come here. And he kind of felt bad about that. He's like, what do you mean? I wasn't your first choice. Like I was just kind of down the list somewhere, you know, somebody. That, he, he said, listen, he said, I actually spoke to several other ministers to come here to raise up this church, but they would not obey me. But you did. And because you did, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to honor your family. I don't want nobody. Amen. Nothing against anybody else. I don't want anybody taking my call in God. I don't want to get before Jesus and not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And when quit tries to get on you, guess what the devil's trying to do? He's trying to get you replaced. He's trying to get you out of the position God wants you in and trying to have to obviously have God try to find somebody else to replace you. Say, I'm not quitting. You know what's like that song says, and it comes from the Maccabeans, am I right? Or what is it from that statement? The what? Moravians. So they actually had this statement, you know, very clearly in that song, as Kathy shared with you before, you know, may what Jesus died for, may, may what now? May the Lamb receive his reward in me. What he died for, may my life be, be proof that he didn't die in vain. Amen. That I accomplished what God called me to do. And with God's help, you can. Right. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 23, 24, and 25. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let us hold fast. So let's talk about some things to do when obviously quit tries to get on us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Our hope. Some translations say faith, but the word here is not is actually not the Greek word for faith. It is the word for hope. So Greek scholars all agree the word should be hope, and I'm going to explain why. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Wavering. Underline that, please. Without what? Say it out loud. Wavering. Say it again, please. Wavering. So wavering means we're not what? We're not quitting. Doesn't mean we're not getting challenged. Doesn't mean our brook may not have dried up. Doesn't mean all of a sudden we're in a situation that ain't going the way we thought it would. But guess what? I am not to waver. No matter what I'm going through, I'm not to waver. 
I'm to hold fast to my confession of hope without wavering for, underline this, he, God, who promised is what? Come on, tell me out loud. Well, it didn't happen today. Okay. Well, I've been believing for a month. Okay. Well, I've been believing for a year. Okay. All right. Great. Wonderful. But that don't mean God's not faithful. That don't mean God won't fulfill his promise. That don't mean God won't do what he said he would do. You know, God spoke to us years ago about building a building. Almost every minister I know that's ever built a building supernaturally by the hand of God, God told him years before, years before, like me, they thought like this is right around the corner. But I'm just telling you, God's simply going to help you understand some things about your future. And then he's got to walk you through some stuff to build your faith to see that it's going to happen. So realize it takes your faith. I said, realize it takes your faith. God could initiate some things on his own, but obviously he's chosen not to do it that way. God has chosen to work through me and you by us exercising our faith in what he wants us to do. And that takes what? That takes people that aren't quitters. I said, that takes people that aren't quitters. I think I'm preaching to a whole bunch of people that are not quitters. If I hear some better amens tonight, I'll know that's true. Verse 24, and... And so hold fast your confession of hope without wavering. God who promises faithful and let us not consider uh, and let us consider one another in order to do what? To stir up love. Consider what? One another. To do what? Stir up love and good works. 25. Not forsaking uh, the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You do not want to be that manner of some. There are tonight those who are acting upon being those manner of some. You don't want to be that group. You do not want to forsake assembling together as is the manner of some. Thus saith the Bible. And notice says exhorting, uh, notice as is the manner of some. But you're to exhort one another and so much more. So much more, the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. On your notes, let's look at these verses here. We'll come back to each one. Number three, one of the first and easiest ways to beat discouragement and the desire to quit is to do what? To hold fast to your confession of hope. I'm going to explain that. To hold fast your confession of hope. 3A, here's an example. Never stop giving God the glory for whatever you have released your faith to receive just as Abraham who contrary to hope, in hope, believe. Romans 4.18. So the reason that we are to hold fast our confession of hope is because hope means a confident, bold expectation of good to come. If I've released my faith for something God has said, if I've released my faith for that building to come to pass, then I'm to hold fast my confession of hope or my expectation that that will be done. I'm not saying that God couldn't all of a sudden dump $5.1 million on us. He could. But most of the time, it's not going to happen that way. Now, there's a reason why when it comes to money. First of all, I'll guarantee you, God can't even get the whole of the body of Christ to tithe. How hard do you think it is for him to get them to motivate, uh, to motivate them to give the way he wants them to give? So God has to use people to make that happen. God doesn't obviously steal money and bring it you know, to us through angels. He's not a thief. He's not going to take somebody's money and the money's here. So God's got to influence people to honor his actual word to do what he wants them to do. Are you listening? 
And the reality again is, I mean, if you think about tithing today in the body of Christ as a whole amongst evangelical Christians, I mean, who knows the exact number? But it's somewhere probably, they say, between 15 to 30% of all who claim to be evangelical Christians. So if they don't tithe, they're certainly not giving offerings above that. So realize God's got a job to do with people that are difficult to work with. But that don't mean he won't get the job done. I said that don't mean he won't get the job done. So guess what you got to know? There are things that we are to play, uh, pray for, like we talked about on our Monday night prayer time, that we are to birth in prayer, just like a woman travailing in prayer to give birth to a child. There are th- now listen, if you pray for healing, you don't travail in prayer for healing. You believe you received that promise. When it comes to money and you have to believe God for money, guess what? You pray in faith, but then you have to do what? You have to maintain a confident expectation that money's coming. Because you don't have it yet. I said, the minute you pray that prayer, I doubt somebody just walked up to you and handed you a check. So you don't have it yet. So one of the things that comes to context of a time frame of, of an aspect of what God has to work on is money. What do you do in the midst of that? Like Abraham, contrary to hope, guess what you do? In hope, you keep believing. In hope, what? The God kind of hope. I expect it to come to pass. Why? Because I'm declaring exactly like Abraham what God said. What am I supposed to say to hold fast to a confession of hope? Thank you, Father. What did Abraham do? Gave glory to God. Thank you, Father. I am a father of a multitude. And I give you the glory for that. Thank you, Father. We have a building. And we give you the glory for that. Well, you don't have it yet. In the name of Jesus, we do. So faith lays hold of the promise when it comes to certain things that are spiritual. We talked about this as it relates to how many know God wants to do an outpouring in the last days. Do you know through the history of the church, book of Acts all the way to today, how many know the book of Acts is still being written? Book of Acts all the way up to today. There's never been a move of God without prayers. People who will pray, not people called to pray. We're all called to pray. People who will give themselves to prayer to the degree that they will continue to pray consistently until that time gets birthed. Until that move gets birthed. Amen? So realize again, you and I, to stay in a position where we don't quit God, we don't stop coming to prayer, we don't stop coming to church, we don't stop believing God for what He's promised us, we got to hold fast to a confession of what? Hope. How do you do that? By giving glory to God. That's what Abraham did, Romans chapter 4. You read a little further down there in uh, Romans chapter 4 from verse 18, and it says that he giving glory to God was convinced that what God had promised he could perform. What did you just read right here? It just said right here, you're to hold fast your confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Well, Abraham knew that. Because he knew that, what did the Bible say? It says he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So he kept giving glory to God for what God said he already had in relationship to God's promise. That's what you do. You keep giving glory to God for what he promised, and you're going to do what? Maintain a confession of hope. Because if you're giving God the glory for what he promised, guess what you're doing? You're expecting that thing to come into, into being in Jesus' name. Amen? So realize to not quit on God, to not give up on God. One, uh, 3A, you never stop doing what? Giving glory to God. You have to continue to hold fast to a confession of hope, an expectation 
of the promise fulfilled. Verse 24, let us consider one another and let us consider one another in order to do up what? What are we supposed to consider one another to do? To stir up love and good works. On your notes, 3B, get your focus. Come on. When you start feeling like a quitter, guess who's, guess, guess who, guess, uh, whose focus Elijah was on when he wanted to quit? Himself. He's now fearful for his life. Who's he focused on? Himself. He's not thinking about the children of Israel, not thinking about his calling. He's not even thinking about his God. All he's thinking about is himself. Worst thing you could do. I said worst thing you can do. It's going to lead you into quit mode. So 3B, get your focus on stirring up love and good works in others. Why? This gets the focus off of you. Underline it and you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You need to continue when you feel like quitting. You need to start finding people that you can stir up in context to the love of God and the good works of God every time you come together as a church. So notice this again, verse 24, we're to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How? Not forsaking the assembling. So when are we supposed to do this stirring up of love and good works? How many believe we should be doing it outside the church? Absolutely, but this is telling us to make sure we do it what? Inside the church. We're to stir up love and good works every time we come together. See, if all you do is come to church for you, it's about what you're going to get tonight. Guess what? That can lead you into quit mode because you're just focused on yourself. But when you come to stir up love and good works in others, you're going to reap what you sow. I said, you're going to reap what you sow. You're to stir up love and good works. Notice this, not forsaking. If you'll notice verse 25, sadly, sometimes this is broken up into verses. We separate this stuff, same sentence. It's the same sentence. We are to stir up love and good works, not forsaking assembling of ourselves. How do you stir up love and good works, not forsaking? You don't. I said you don't. If you don't come to God's house, you can't stir each other up in love and good works. You know, it's sad to me how people get down and depressed and isolated and feeling like a quitter and all this kind of stuff. And I'll guarantee you, most of these people who do, I will promise you, they are not consistent church attenders. Or if they happen to attend church, guess who they're coming for? Themselves. They're not coming thinking about anybody else. Come on, somebody. It's all about me. And why doesn't anybody like me? And why don't I have friends? And why don't this? And why don't that? And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'll guarantee you what. You're going to walk in quit mode all your life. Because you are focused on the wrong thing. You're supposed to do what? Consider one another. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to start considering you. Come on. I'm going to start. What's it mean consider? Have compassion for. Have a compassion for them. Think about them to stir up what? God's love in their life and good works by not forsaking assembling together as is the manner of some and exhorting one another. Doing what? Exhorting one another. To do what? To get to God's house. To stick it out. Don't quit. Stay with God. God's going to help you. Yeah, but uh, uh, no yeah buts, man. Come on. See, this is what you're supposed to do with one another. I said, this is what you're supposed to do with one another. You know, think of it this way. How come it is the world knows in professional sports to do this, but the body of Christ can't? You listening? I mean, if I'm on the Dallas Cowboys team, I'm not going and trying to encourage the Redskins. I guess they're not Redskins anymore, are they? 
I'm not trying to go and encourage another football team because obviously I'm trying to defeat them. But guess who I'm supposed to be encouraging? Everybody on my team. Guess what you're supposed to be doing with this church family? It don't mean you can't encourage other believers, but what's your primary responsibility? You're a family. I said you're a family. We're a team. What, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be building each other up, exhorting one another when we come here. Amen. That when we start hearing anybody talk the feet out of their mouth. Amen. Well, imagine how different church would be as a whole in aspects of everybody of Christ. If every time anybody ever walked into church and started, start, and started talking quit, somebody jumped on it like a, bu- like a bird on a bug. No, 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 we ain't doing that. No, 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 you're not quitting. No, our God's bigger than that. Come on. And we started doing what? Exhorting one another and stirring up the love of God and the good works of God. Well, let me just pray for you. We'll deal with that right now. Let me tell you, you're leaving here far more supercharged than when you walked in. Now, you could say, well, they're thinking about their self. Yeah, but you're helping them get their mind off of that situation. Come on, somebody. And if you are in that situation, what's the best thing you can do for yourself? Look to encourage somebody else. Don't come looking trying to find it. Come on, somebody. Because when you come trying to find it, guess what? You're walking around with this blue cloud on you. Do you know blue clouds don't draw very many people to you? Do you know that? I said, do you know that? It really doesn't attract people to you. But boy, if you come with the attitude, I'm going to come help somebody, you're going to reap what you sow. Come on. Even a lot of times, I guarantee you, I've been to church before where I've encouraged others and obviously felt like I needed encouragement and nobody encouraged me. But because I encouraged them, guess what? I felt better when I left. Because I'm speaking to them the Word of God, guess who's hearing that as well? I am. Guess who's hearing those same words of encouragement? I am. May we do this as a church. Because this helps people to stop the quit mode. So they're not trying to quit. Could I get a better amen? Amen. So number three, you're not to forsake assembling with the church family. Ever, never, ever. And while you're here, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be encouraging one another, exhorting one another, building each other up. Quit coming to church with depression on your your face and on your looks. I mean, if it's trying to get on you, drag yourself here, get here and say, I'm going to find somebody to love on. I'm going to, I'm serious. I'm going to find somebody to bless. I'm going to find somebody to encourage. I'm going to find somebody to pray for. I'm not walking in that door discouraged down and out and quit mode. I'm not walking in their depression mode. I'm walking in there. Yeah, but I feel, no, 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 no. I walk by faith, not how I feel. And when I go in there and do what the Bible says and I sow that into their lives, I'm going to reap the same thing back. And a lot of people don't realize this. They're trying to, a lot of people will come and go to church, just focus on themselves, mopey me, depress me, down and out me, da 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 And they leave oftentimes worse than when they came in. Because that actual attitude doesn't usually draw a lot of people either. And sometimes they leave and nobody exhorted them, sadly, or encouraged them. And now they feel even more isolated and more left out. But you wouldn't feel that way if you obviously started reaching out to people. In all my years as a pastor, in all my years as a pastor, I've had people always come through my church and say, I have no friends. I got an answer for you. I don't think anybody here does that in context of that, but I'm talking about people of the past. I have no friends. I'm going to tell you why. You're not friendly. How do you expect to get friends if you're not friendly? I'm serious. 
Who wants to be friends with people that aren't friendly? You like being friendly with people that aren't friendly? No, most people don't want a friend that's not friendly. Yeah, I'm looking for Mr. Moper, no friendly. Miss, Miss, you know, uh, down and out, you know, beat up, don't want any kind of aspect of any kind of excitement in her life or any joy or anything. I want to be their friend. Now listen, I'm telling you right now, a lot of times people don't realize you don't have friends because you're not being what? You're not being one. You reap what you sow. It's a spiritual law. Any amens on that? So thank God, one of the ways and easiest ways that we can beat discouragement is to do what? Make sure you, don't, you do not let go of, do not waver from your confession of hope. Give glory to God. Come on. Number two, guess what? You need to constantly be reminded that I need to be stirring others up. I need to be looking for people to stir others up. Get the focus off of me because I'm going to reap what I sow. And number three, don't forsake assembling so I got somebody to do that with. And especially with church family. Praise God. I've told you many, many, many times. How did God turn Job's situation around? How did Job's captivity get turned around? Man, if anybody could have been somebody would quit on him, it was Job. And finally, what does God tell him to do? You go minister to these friends of yours. I, I mean, how many of you ever felt like this walking in church? I feel like the last person on the planet to try to encourage anybody right now. But you know what? He obeyed God. I said he obeyed God. And guess what happened? Faith got released. And when faith got released, God turned his situation around. See, God can't turn your situation around without faith. He can't do it. It takes faith. Hebrews chapter 10, moving further down, verse 35. 1035. Amen, if you can say it. Therefore, do not also cast away what? Your confidence. Don't cast cast away your confidence, which has what? Tell me. What does it have? Uh, You might want to underline that. Might want to underline. It has a great reward to it. Great reward. What does? Not casting away my confidence. 36, for you have need of endurance. Please underline that statement right there. He didn't say it's an option for the believer. He said, you have a need of this. You have a need of endurance. So that after, say after, after you've done the will of God, you're going to receive what? You're going to receive the promise, whatever it may be, whatever promise God wants to fulfill in your life. Not before, but after doing the will of God. How do you receive the promises of God? The same way that you receive salvation, faith in God. So a part of walking out that promise is to not cast away my confidence in God and confidence here is an affirmation of the truth a little different than the hope confession the hope confession I'm giving glory to God say give glory to God but what does it mean not to cast away my confidence I keep acknowledging the truth meaning what I keep saying what God says about me I keep saying what God says about me these are two different things Thank you, Father. I give you all the glory for all your promises, for what you've said. You are going to obviously fulfill in my life, and I know by Jesus is already done. Now, I acknowledge what the Word of God says. This is now speaking of a a context of not casting away my confidence. And declare what God says, God's Word says. In every situation, declare what God's Word says. That's not giving glory to God. That's you now doing what? Not casting away your confidence. Wait a minute. You have need of endurance, so after you've done the will of God. So what is he saying there? You have to endure through the challenges 
By not doing what? Losing your confession of what God says. Taught you this many, many, many times. The Bible talks about the fight of faith. What is the fight of faith? That you don't lose your faith. That you don't stop speaking what the Word of God says. That you don't stop believing what God says is already so. Hebrews chapter 10, 35 and 36 on number 4 there. Notice this. When you learn to never cast away your confidence, your bold confession of faith, you will never what? You'll never quit. So a bold confession of hope is what? Giving God glory. A bold confession of faith is for a never stop boldly declaring what God has said. Keep speaking in line with God. No matter what, keep speaking in line with God. Keep speaking in line with God. Why? Number one, you need to hear it. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Doesn't say who you hear it from. You can proclaim it to yourself. For B, you also have need of what? Endurance as many things do not what? Don't change overnight. So guess what you got to do? Be consistent at it. Endurance means I don't quit. I keep declaring what God says. I keep giving glory to God. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 1. So these are all things for me and you to do when quit tries to get on us. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Quit tries to get on everybody. I guarantee you. It would be easy going through this building situation to try to get quit on us and say, well, why even try? Look how many people we are. I don't see how that's possible. I don't think there's any way we can do it. Well, number one, God didn't ask you to do it. God asked you to let him do it through you. He needs your help, but obviously it's not just you doing it. Number two, if he said to do it, you should obey God and say, okay, God, we're going to obey exactly what you told us to do. And therefore, guess who gets all the glory for it? He does. He gets all the glory for it. I'm all for, I'm not against somebody in the congregation saying, pastor, no problem. I just write that check for five million. Here it is. But you know what? It's going to be a whole lot bigger shouting day. When we walk into that building. And there wasn't just one individual that had that kind of money. But we watched God move again and again and again and again. And we reached the next goal. And we reached the next goal. And we reached the next goal. Each time thinking, how are we going to do that? But we then tell our mind to shut up. And we keep speaking in line with the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason, Paul said to uh, the uh, pastor Timothy, young pastor Timothy, for this reason I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He has suffered a lot of persecution, a lot of challenges, but I'm not ashamed. For I know, this is why I was not ashamed. I know in whom, I know, excuse me, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What did he have committed to him? His life. His life. He's able to keep me all the way to the end to fulfill my call in God. No matter how much persecution I face, how many challenges, I know he's able to keep me all the way to the end. 13. Listen. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Underline that. So Paul's trying to teach a young pastor, Timothy, something important here. He's using himself as an example in verse 12. Saying, I have suffered these things, many persecutions, many challenges, many obvious attacks on my life. 
beaten with rods, beaten with whips, stone left for dead. But I know, I know in whom I believed. And because I believe in Jesus, he's able to keep me through it all. Come on. To get me under that day at the end. Watch. 13. So you, Timothy, as an example to you now, you must hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. Listen to that. Which you've heard from me. So how is Timothy going to walk out what Paul walked out? Exactly the same way Paul walked out what he walked out. What did Paul do? Paul held fast to the sound doctrine that he was taught from the other disciples. He held true to that doctrine and what the Lord revealed to him, obviously, because he had visitations from the Lord. Now he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you're still going to face times that you're going to come through challenges of life and you're going to want to quit. But like me, he can keep you all the way to the end. But how is he going to keep you all the way to the end? You're going to hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. In faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. These words are in Christ Jesus because ultimately he's the one that taught us these things. Number five, you need to hold fast to the pattern of sound words, pattern of sound words, and you will not quit. What sound words? Sound words refers to sound doctrine here. Sound teachings. So you are supposed to take the word of God that's taught you and hold on to that and never let it go. When you know what you've been given from this pulpit is based on Scripture, it's sound, it's backed up with the Word, guess what you need to do? Hold on to that. Meaning what? You don't ever stop coming and hearing sound doctrine. Because you have to maintain receiving and hearing as a pattern sound doctrine in your life. If you maintain hearing sound doctrine in your life, it will help you to overcome these challenges. Because you're going to hear things when you need to hear it. You're going to get stuff all of a sudden you didn't realize you needed. In the midst of a message that the title didn't seem to apply to you, but all of a sudden in the midst of that message, God's going to speak something to you that's going to help you. Amen? Not to mention the fact if you just take the very scriptures we're giving you and live this out, you won't quit. So you got to do what? Hold fast to the pattern of sound words, doctrine, teachings, and not quit. Now notice he said... In context to him, relationship to Timothy, that you've heard from me. I need to know that I'm hearing from the people God's placed me under that I'm to hear from. Not just anybody. Because not everybody preaching is preaching sound doctrine. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Back up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Maintaining a pattern of hearing sound doctrine will give you strength to not quit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When I say maintaining a a pattern of hearing it means you don't just come and then go home. You actually hear it. You actually receive it. You actually apply it. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says to test how many things? All things. things. Hold fast to? Hold fast what is good. Say it with me. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. So that would mean if I test all things and it's not good, guess what I do? I don't hold on to it. I let go of that. Number six on your notes, you need to hold fast to that which is good and you will not get discouraged to the place of quitting. So how do I test all things to know if it's good or not? Uh, Excuse me? You got to know that it will actually go in line with Scripture. How do I test all things? With the Scriptures. 
What does the Bible tell us as to how we know? Go to Revelation 2. What does the Bible tell us as to how we know what is of us and what is truly of God? The Word of God. It does what? Divides soul from spirit. And it helps you understand what it is that God really is revealing to you and what is not of God. And sadly, a lot of people won't apply this. They say they're hearing from God, but they don't realize that they're really not because they didn't really test it. They just think what I heard must be of God because it's what I wanted to hear. Sounded good to me. He didn't say, hold fast to whatever sounds good to you or whatever you wanted to hear. He started off that verse by saying, test what? All things. things. That which you find out stands up to the test. It lines up with the word. God says it's good. That's what you hold fast to. What if it don't? Kick it out. Have nothing to do with it. Amen. Because sadly today, a lot of people still say, well, I'm hearing from God. I know what God told me to do. And yet you go to the Bible and it don't line up with the Bible. Think of all these Christians who say, I don't need to go to church. I happen to know my God's told me I don't need to go to church. Well, guess what? Who you say your God is who's telling you not to go to church ain't actually the same God of this Bible because he's not telling you that. Are you listening? I don't need to forgive. I'm saved by grace. I can live any way I want. The God of the Bible didn't say that. He said, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Revelation 2. Revelation 2, 25. Thank God we can learn what to do to not quit. 25 says, Jesus, Revelation to this context of what we know, remember, in Revelation 2 and uh, 3 is all these letters to the churches, right, which has application to us. This here is the church at Thyatira. Notice this 25. Hold fast to what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my work, uh, my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Verse 25 again. Hold fast to what you have till I come. Verse 7. Uh, excuse me. Verse seven, number 7. Hold fast to what you already have. So what you know is good. Do what? Don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. What you've already tested and know that's good, don't ever let go of that. Don't ever let go of the things that you know for a fact. I tested that. That's good. That's of the Bible. That's God. Well, don't ever let go of it then. So once you know it's good, what should you do? Don't ever let go of the things God's already given you in relationship to your life to help you. Amen? Last verse, Acts 27. Acts 27. Say, praise the Lord. Acts 27, of course, you know, this is where... They had taken Paul on ship. Paul had warned them not to go. They didn't listen. They're in this storm. What do you do in a ship when you're in the midst of a storm in relationship to the fact that you're getting close to the shore and the ship could be beat apart by the actual waves running into rocks? Let's find out. Acts 27, 27, 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, what did they do? They dropped four anchors. They dropped four anchors from the stern, and they prayed, obviously, for day to come, for this storm to stop. In the midst of the storm, what do you need to do? Drop four anchors. This comes from Dr. Barclay's book, How Not to Be Shipwrecked. If you're shipwrecked, guess what that means? You're going to quit. You're going to quit. Number eight, you put down anchors. There are four great anchors that can help you. This comes from Dr. Barclay's book, How Not to Be Shipwrecked. 8A, what's one of the first anchors? Now, prayer is not just us saying something out of our head. It's really, truly communing with God. Write it down. You're communing with God. 
You are getting in his presence. You are aware of him when you pray. That's what we're talking about. And prayer is also, by the way, what? A two-way street. It's not just you going to God because you're having problems and talking to God. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fellowshipping with God. We're talking about communing with him. That's a powerful anchor. I said that's a powerful anchor. 8B, go to church, get the word of God, as we've already mentioned. Powerful thing that will anchor your life to the things of God. 8C, get your heart right about money. Because one of the things Satan will work on with people, I guarantee it's an amazing thing. Pastor taught me years ago. He said, as a pastor, you need to have a way to be able, in what comes in with the books. Now, understand, I'm not going to go around, I, I don't care what you make in your job. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to find out what you made. I'm not going to try to talk to your boss. I find you can tell by people's given if they're honoring the word of God or not. But he said, but Jesus himself sat in the temple and watched what people gave. You better watch what your people give. And here's why. Not to go to them and say, hey, <clears throat> we're sending three deacons on a night mission to come to your house this week because you didn't give your tithe, so we're going to come get it. Not for that reason. It's not why you do it. He said, here's why you need to know it as a pastor. Because one of the first things that shows your people are pulling away from God is their money. It's one of the first things that they'll be affected by if they start pulling away from God, their money. All of a sudden, they'll stop giving. Not true of everybody, but it's true of a lot of people. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched that happen. Where I've watched people's giving start going down. I know they're, they haven't lost their job or their financial situation hasn't changed. But little by little, guess what follows? Church attendance. Things in the time and involvement and things of God in the church, etc. And this is one of the things you got to watch for because it's one of the ways Satan will try to get at you to pull you away from God, get you to quit. 8D, you need to be what? Consistent in everything you do. Really simple. You ready? Refuse to quit. Refuse to quit in prayer. Refuse to quit in, in context to going to church. Don't quit church. Refuse to, to not stop. Uh, refuse to, to ever give in to not giving. You're going to give in Jesus' name. Be consistent. Stick with the things of God. And guess what? You got four powerful anchors to help you in the midst of the storms of life that try to get you to quit. Amen? So a little review here and some additional things that you can do when you feel like quitting. Great list of eight things. Number one, as we've already mentioned, do what? Shout it at me. Refuse. Shout it at me. Refuse yeah, refuse to quit. The will of, of man is powerful. And when you refuse to quit on God, it'll help push you through hard times. Number two, you also need to learn to do what? Who did this when he felt like quitting? David did. Man, I'll tell you, Elijah should have done it. But he didn't. But David did. When he felt like quitting, what did he do? I mean, all of his uh, army was against him at this time. Uh, wanting to actually take his life. He had nobody else to turn to but the Lord, and therefore he encouraged himself in the Lord. You're not always going to have somebody around to encourage you. You're not always going to have people around to exhort you. But when you encourage yourself in the Lord, you don't need them. Number three, rehearse who you are in Christ. That's powerful. That's powerful. How do you do that? How do you rehearse who you are in Christ? How do you rehearse who you are in Christ? What do, we, what do we, I'm sorry? You speak what God says about you. Well, how do we do that? All the in him, in whom, in Christ verses, in the New Testament. You find those verses. We got a whole list of them. You rehearse who you are in Christ. You remind yourself and decree over your life and remind yourself. When, you, when quit tries to get on you, you start declaring who you are in Christ. Rehearse who you are. Amen. 
Number four, remember to what you have been called. What do you mean? To your church, to the call of God on your life in that church. God needs you, church. God needs you. God don't need quitters. He needs people stepping up and doing what they've been called to do. Sometimes remembering what you've been called to can help help you press through the hard times. Uh, Number five, you reminisce your past what? It's always good to do. How, how do we know this is a strength to our life when we want to quit? Again, think of David. So what did David do when he actually came up against other uh, aspects of challenges in his life? Well, when he came up against Goliath, remember what he said? I fought the lion. I fought the bear. Guess what he was doing? He was rehearsing his victories. If I took out a lion with God's help, I didn't do it, you know. If, I, if the bear came against me and I was able to defeat him with God's help, hey, what are you? What are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, to my God? So rehearsing your victories is a good thing to do. Number six, go through the motions anyway. Now let me explain. You might want to actually tie that back to remember to what you've been called to. Because a lot of people get quit on them. I just don't feel like going to church today. Don't think I'm just too depressed to go greet anybody. Too depressed to go work in the nursery, work in the children's ministry, usher. How did you know? No, 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 no. You go through the motions anyway. Because when obviously the enemy's trying to get you to quit, you don't want to back down from your call. You don't want to back away from what God's called you to do. Number seven, learn to practice the presence of the Lord. Learn to practice the presence of the Lord. How can we do that, Pastor? Good question. Here's a Dr. Barclay list. 7A, audio recordings. Why? Faith comes to build you up as you're hearing the word preached. B, stay in the Bible. Why? You're washing your mind. C, fellowship. Fellowship with strong believers. Joy and friendship come as a result. D, again, prayer with God, communing with God, staying close to God. Last but not least, number eight. This is a good one. You ready? Hang around motivated believers. Hang around motivated believers. Because if you do, guess what they can do? Motivate you. I said they can motivate you. Yeah, but what if I feel like quitting? I don't feel very motivated. Uh, Should people be hanging around me? If you're motivating them, you're a motivated believer. And guess what? It'll motivate you as well. In the name of Jesus, we are not quitting our God in this last day. The devil wants believers to quit God. He wants them to give up on God, as we talked about in another part of this series, to draw away from God. If you learn to deal with quit when it tries to get on you, I guarantee you what? He won't win. I said he won't win. All of us have faced it. All of us have. I've had times I've wanted to quit my walk with God. I've had times I've wanted to quit as a pastor. On and on we could go. But you know what? If you stick to these things, you won't quit. You won't give in to the discouragement. You won't give in to depression. You'll walk in victory as a child of God. Stand your feet. Praise God. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.